Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Chapter 27, Padfoot Returns. One of the best things about the aftermath of the second task was that everybody was keen to hear details of what happened down in the lake, which meant that Ron was getting a share in Harry's limelight for once. Harry noticed that Ron's versions of events... I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Casper Tekhile. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Today, I want to tell you about Samuel Pepys, the famous diarist. And apparently he's not so well known in America, but in England, he's kind of a big deal. He's a contemporary of Sir Christopher Wren, who built St. Paul's Cathedral. And he's famous for writing witty notes about his day and kind of giving you an insight into everyday life in 17th century London. Think really big curly wigs and big ruffled collars. That's the vibe. And he was an administrator in the Navy, and his official income was £350 a year. Sounds like a lot. Well, certainly for that time, it was a good job. But here's the extraordinary thing. By the end of seven years, he was getting paid £7,000 a year. That is more than three fifty. That is a lot more than three fifty, And it wasn't just because he got a raise. Peeps accepted money and gifts of all sorts, even sexual favours, from people with whom he did Navy business. And now, on the one hand, you could say, listen, no one expected that your salary that you were paid was what you would limit your earnings to. Everyone was gaming the system. And if you look at what Peeps actually accepted, there were times when he didn't accept gifts and he didn't accept it because he didn't want to make that decision. So there's times when Peeps said no, but on the other hand, he accepted all sorts of things that would influence his decision and ultimately influence his superiors. And so historians are conflicted. You know, was Samuel Pepys this kind of totally unreliable character because he accepted bribes? Or was he simply a patron and accepted patronage himself? And perhaps both are true. And it, it really made me think of this theme of corruption that we're exploring in this chapter because to some extent, it depends how you look at it. And it depends what the norms of the system are in which you live. You know, so often in the Western media, we'll look at 
political changes in governments, for example, on the continent of Africa, and we'll say, oh, you know, so much corruption happens, et cetera, et cetera. But when we look at the recent tax bill passed in the United States and the fact that Paul Ryan, the former Speaker of the House, got $500,000 the day afterwards, pretty much, from the Koch brothers, no one calls that corruption, but it's exactly the same. But we think of it as normal. And so I want to try and understand when is corruption corruption and when is it just the water that we swim in? And I hope we can discuss that together today. I think that that is exactly the right question. I think it's a bit ironic given that you are someone who often takes two or three extra seconds in their 30-second recap that you're getting all high-horsed about corruption. I'm not getting high-horsed. I'm just saying when is it corruption? And I believe that's just a floor in the timing system. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Vanessa, here we go. 30-second recap. Three, two, one, go. So Ron is like, oh, I'm the hero of everything. And Hermione's like, no, you're not. And he's like, oh, you're right. Awkward. And then they go down to Snape's dungeon for class. And it turns out that there's an article that um, Harry is being rejected by Hermione. And Hermione is putting love potions on everyone. And Hermione's like, whatever, Rita. And Snape and Karkarov bond over the fact that they're the thing that is showing up on their forearm, which is where Nazi tattoos often were. And then um, and they go in Hogsmeade and they see they see Sirius and they talk to him. I love that you think Snape and Kakaroff are bonding. They have a moment. Yeah. Here's the thing, Casper. Time equals relationship. And even though it's <laughs> acrimonious, they are building a shared memory. Yeah, of Kakaroff sitting in the back of the classroom, anxiously waiting and not letting Snape go. So I will admit that this wasn't the most eloquent that I ever was. But let's see if you can do any better. On your mark. Get set, go. So what's really fun is that Hermione's like, how did Rita know? Like, And then she is literally crushing a beetle as she's talking about that favorite moment in the whole chapter. Um, they go and see Sirius. Sirius hiding, hiding in a cave, pretending to be dog, tells us, tells us the whole backstory about Barty Crouch Sr. And like the history of... Um, like how he was super intense and like put his son in prison and his wife died and it all seems a little sketchy. And um, I feel like he's not really feeding Buckbeak. Like the only thing he's giving Buckbeak are used bones. And I'm like, serious, Buckbeaks need to eat too. (laughs) Actually, you're wrong. The best moment in that chapter is when Ron says, she's talking about you like you're a scarlet woman. And Hermione is like, you are a ridiculous human being. And I'm in love with you, Ron Weasley. And Ron says, that's what my mother calls them. (laughs) (laughs) Vanessa, it seems like the obvious place to start in this chapter, when we think about this theme of corruption, is the introduction of the clear liquid which reveals all truth, Veritas Serum. Snape introduces it like in this menacing moment where he's kind of, he's really threatening Harry. He's separated Ron, Harry and Hermione. He's taken off points from Gryffindor and he's put Harry right at the front of the classroom and kind of whispers in his ear. And he's like, I could just slip a few drops into your pumpkin juice. And it feels like Snape is really about to drug him without his consent. Yes. Snape is awful in this chapter. Snape is awful in every chapter. Vanessa repeats herself. Now Vanessa does what she always does, which is weirdly talk about herself in the third person and defend Snape. (laughs) Both of those things are weird. Okay, so Snape says this thing in this creepy whisper moment with Harry. He says, I think that you are nothing but a nasty little boy who considers the rules beneath him. Mm. And, okay, Snape is wrong that Harry is not nothing but a nasty little boy. But Harry is a smug kid who thinks the rules are beneath him. And 
Snape isn't wrong about all of it, right? Harry was part of how the Polyjuice Potion ingredients got out of the closet. Sure, Harry didn't take them. Hermione did. But Harry was part of that plot. He's not wrong that Harry was on the stairs in the invisibility cloak that night. Snape is not crazy. And there's just no worse feeling to me than being gaslighted. And Snape is. He's being gaslighted by Harry. Harry is like, I don't know what you're talking about. I would find that infuriating. But I think that Harry is quite corrupted. I don't think that he has enough political power to really be a force for corruption. But he is somebody who is willing to lie, willing to lie to authorities, willing to steal. He helps with an international dragon heist. He helps a convicted felon escape. Like, (laughs) I mean, I'm rooting for him, but I think that it complicates what corruption is. And when we want someone to not follow the rules, and when we do... You're absolutely right. Snape certainly is picking up on something. And it it struck me that Harry's trying to avoid Snape's eyes, which, of course, later in the books will become much more meaningful because Snape and his quest for truth and kind of hunting out deception and corruption in some way is really central to his whole mission at this point. Certainly here with the Veritas Serum, definitely with his ability to read minds. And of course, it's totally entwined with his own corruption. He is trying, I think, in some way to resolve the fact that he was corrupted. He did go to the dark side, as it were. And so he's extra vigilant about it. In the same way that that's kind of mirrored with Moody, we see this obsessive character who's all about uncovering truth and finding the misdoers when he, in fact, himself, as Barty Crouch Jr., is the central character who's kind of tricking everyone in this book. And so it's this interesting connection of all the characters who meet on the stairway a couple of chapters ago. They're all on this line of trying to find out the secrets of the others while maintaining their own purity, when in fact they're totally compromised. Yeah. I really love that point, especially about Snape, that after being a double agent or flipping back and forth, you must be so distrustful of other people because you're like, I know that I am lying to everybody all of the time. Right. And so who else is lying all the time? Well, and even more than that, I wonder if it becomes difficult to know when you're lying yourself, because if you're so good at playing both those roles, who are you when you're living this double life? And I think that's what I like about this theme of corruption is that it isn't just lying or pretending. It's actually becoming this other thing. You know that the metaphor of a disease, like it literally corrupts your body and you are changed by it. I I feel like that's what's happened with with Snape is there's actually nothing pure left. It's so interesting that especially that you use the metaphor of disease because it was exactly what I was thinking at another point in the chapter. When we are talking about the methods that Barty Crouch Sr. used in order to fight Voldemort. Yes. Because what he does is clearly wrong. He sends Sirius to jail without a trial. He allows Aurors to start killing without really asking any questions. But, you know, I was thinking about it in terms of chemotherapy. If Voldemort is a cancer in their society, sometimes the cure is awful. Chemotherapy is a form of poison, and you are hoping that the poison is better than the disease. You know, there's this idea that in order to have freedom, you also need a certain level of safety or you don't feel free. And that is, you know, the justification in a liberated free democracy that we still have police, for example. And so we talk about safety versus liberty. And I'm somebody who would always rather 
a guilty man go free, 10 guilty men go free, then one innocent man go to jail. I would rather feel a little bit unsafe and freer. But that is a tight line to walk. And so I'm wondering, do you see what Barty Crouch Sr. was doing as corrupt, as taking advantage of power as soon as it's offered to him? Or is this just a necessary strategy when the cancer of Voldemort was overtaking all of England? It's such a juicy question and not one where there's a simple answer. You know, I see what Crouch did by countering violence with violence and allowing the auras to kill and use the unforgivable curses. But the thing that really worries me is that if we do go down that road of an eye for an eye and a, you know, a tooth for a tooth, everyone ends up without teeth. You know, like when does the violence end? Because that's what we have with the arms race, right? There is no end in sight. Everyone's going to build a bigger weapon. Everyone's going to build a bigger shield. And we just keep investing more and more. And I feel like that's what Crouch has set in motion in some way. And, you know, we haven't seen any transformative justice happen at all, certainly by taking away the trial as a mechanism of truth-telling and punishment. The fact that Voldemort is able to rise again and find so much aid is because there's a whole bunch of people who haven't been integrated or healed, and there's a whole bunch of relationships that are still brittle and just waiting to explode once there's some Tinder. And Voldemort is nothing if not a very sparky, fiery Tinder. Yeah, I mean, and then there's this idea, right, I remember this conversation a lot in the United States right after 9-11 of if al-Qaeda changes the way that we live our lives, haven't they already won? Right. And so the question becomes, like, what are we fighting for? But at the same point, how much do we defend ourselves? I mean, these are, like, deeply existential questions that I think that we also feel in our personal lives. When somebody has treated me really horribly, my initial desire is to treat them horribly back. I think we also see our own willingness to deal with corruption in a moment at the end of the chapter. So Sirius, Ron, Hermione, and Harry are talking about Crouch, and they're talking a little bit about the fact that Percy works for Crouch. Mm. And they all, in this like sort of judgmental way, is like, well, Percy loves rules. And so like, what is Percy, if not to some extent, incorruptible? He's someone who likes the system and likes to work within the system and takes that very seriously. And yet we have an inherent distaste for him, right? We're like, you're not critically thinking at all. You're just willing to toe the line on everything. You're going to defend Barty Crouch no matter what. When, you know, in another context, that could be considered loyal or having a lot of integrity. And so to some extent, we want everybody to be a little bit corruptible, right? We want people to make exceptions. And I think that if you're not making exceptions, if you're completely incorruptible, then you have no humanity. Isn't corruption a way to demonstrate some form of humanity? Offering preferential treatment to your own family members. These are things that we want from one another. Yeah, I think that's the interesting question for me is like, you could even say the fact that they're going to ask Percy a question is kind of breaking the boundaries of actual ministry information flow, for example, right? Like they're getting access to someone. And that's frankly how most corruption happens is it's like you happen to know someone from college who can get you a meeting with so-and-so or... You are very high up in the ministry and your son is in prison. You can go and say goodbye to him. Right, exactly. We see the Crouch parents being able to go visit their son in prison because they have that kind of access. Like it's both humanity and it's a sign of corruption. Like, the rules do not apply for everyone. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. 
Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Vanessa, there's another place in the text I want to talk about, which is this great quote that if you want to know what a man is like, take a good look at how he treats his inferiors, not his equals, where, you know, Sirius is talking about how Crouch has treated Winky, especially. And it gives us this insight into his character. What do you make of that line? So I think that the sentiment is great. And I think that you see the inherent corruption of society in this sentence. Ooh, tell me more. So he says, see how he treats his inferiors, not his equals. He doesn't say, if you want to know what a man is like, see how he treats people with less power than him or people with the same amount or more power than him. He says inferiors and equals. I think that that belies that Sirius is somebody who has walked through the world with sort of staff or servants and thinks of certain people as his inferiors. I understand the sentiment and really appreciate the sentiment of like, watch how somebody treats a waiter. Watch how somebody treats somebody who is only there to help them or is only in that other person's life and instrumentalized in that moment way. But to call someone your inferior, that just speaks to me of of a caste system. But don't you think this is just a manner of speech? Like you're in an office environment, someone's your superior, right? Your boss, someone works for you, they're your inferior. It feels to me like this is just a, he's making a concise point. I mean, it's uncomfortable, but I, I don't think it illustrates like a deeply problematic perspective. So I do because I think that supervisor versus my employee seems much better language to me than my superior or my inferior. If somebody has cancer, which is something that can happen to anybody, we just say, oh, he has cancer. Mm. But if somebody has a disease that we think of as defining them and is like something that can't touch us, we'll say he's autistic rather than he has autism. Mm. And so these types of definitions where we're like your entire personhood is bound up in your autism – We're saying certain things about the way that we view these medical issues. And I just think it's the same thing here. I think that language matters. So what what does this tell us about the text? What does it mean? Well, I think it 
tells us about Sirius that even though he thinks he's woke, he's not as woke as he thinks he is. <laughs> Which I guess we'll see in how he treats, you know, the house elf in the next book. I think the other thing is that just because someone doesn't have the most woke language available to them doesn't mean that their heart isn't in the exact right place. He is saying, let's hold each other accountable for how we treat people with less power than us. And he is validating for Hermione that, like, that matters and that Hermione's eye is on the right thing. And so I think it can teach us both lessons, right? That, like, well-intended progressives aren't necessarily always thinking about things in the right way, but also that people who don't necessarily have the right language, that doesn't mean that their heart isn't in the right place. Is there anywhere else in the chapter that you see this theme of corruption? I mean, this is like definitely a stretch, but I'm not going to bless Hermione for this, so I got to talk about it here. I think that Hermione, she's not being corrupt in this moment, but when she flashes a smile to the Slytherins, this article has just come out saying that she is not pretty enough to have both the attention of Harry Potter and Victor Crown. It's brutal. Yes. It's brutal. And then it quotes Pansy Parkinson saying she's very ugly or something, just something horrific. And that, like, she's probably slipping people love potions, <laughs> right? Which is, like, it's a terrible accusation. But I think that Hermione is using, like, dishonesty to her benefit here. She looks at them and just gives them a sarcastic smile. Like, I don't care about this at all. Obviously, it's going to bother her at least a little bit. But I think this gets back to your original point, which is, like, corruption can look like a lot of different things. And lying can look like a lot of different things. And this is a lie. She's not thrilled about this moment. But it's a power move, and it is a powerful power move. I love looking at a bully and smiling and being like, I'm fine. You're ridiculous. Amen. It's time for our spiritual practice, and just between you and me, this might be my fave. I mean, it is tied for one of my five favorites. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for Lectio, our original sacred practice, a four-step reading practice. And Vanessa, you have chosen a random sentence, which we will think about literally. We'll think about it allegorically. We'll think about what stories it reminds us from our own lives, and then what action we're being invited to take by the text. So the sentence that I picked is, The dungeon rang with the Slytherin's laughter, and an unpleasant smile curled Snape's thin mouth. Ooh. Can you read it one more time? The dungeon rang with the Slytherin's laughter, and an unpleasant smile curled Snape's thin mouth. So this is happening in the potions classroom. My expectation is that it's near the beginning of the class when Snape sees that Hermione has the newspaper, the Witches Weekly, and picks it up and starts reading it sentence by sentence with a little pause between each sentence so that the Slytherins can kind of laugh and humiliate everyone. That is exactly correct. It's as if I did my reading. (laughs) So that's what's happening at a very literal level in the narrative. Let's think about allegorically, what images or songs or stories does it remind us of? The dungeon rang with the Slytherin's laughter, and an unpleasant smile curled Snape's thin mouth. What are you thinking of, Vanessa? The unpleasant smile, I'm thinking of like the Cheshire cat. Ooh. Who like smiles, overlooking everything, and delights in its misery. 
What about you? Well, that is making me think of Nagini in book seven, when Nagini is kind of transformed into the old lady who doesn't say anything, but is just kind of, you know, beckoning Harry and Hermione and ends up being, of course, a very, very dangerous trap. But there's that kind of silent smile. Yeah, and then the the dungeon, right? I mean, they're in the dungeon for potions, but later we're going to see in book seven them go into the dungeon at, yes. at Malfoy Manor. And so I think they're in this, like, very unsafe place when they are in potions class. And even the word rang, I'm thinking of bells, like bells as signs of danger or fire, right? When villagers would try and communicate with each other over long distance, they would ring the bells. But it would also be a celebratory thing. Church bells on wedding days. Right. Well, and what you said about bells resonated for me with the word laughter, right? Mm. Laughter we often think of as like so pleasant. But if someone is laughing and you don't know what they're laughing at, it's also the most terrifying sound in the world because you're afraid they're laughing at you. And I think that laughter is like bells. It's either announcing like something wonderful or it could be announcing something really awful. Yeah. Is there anything else in here that you would like to discuss allegorically, Casper? I was thinking of the word curled. Again, that snake imagery is so strong because we're in the dungeons, we're with the Slytherins. Like, I'm just seeing a snake curling up on itself. Like, there's something unplaceable about a curl, right? It's not a straight line. You don't know where it's going. It has a intriguing but potentially dangerous vibe to it. I feel like in some way this also represents Snape, like he's weaving his way from one side, from Voldemort to Dumbledore, from Voldemort to Dumbledore. Like there's this unplaceable, unsteadfast nature to Snape and, you know, how he acts in the world, but also how he is to himself. And maybe there's something in that that shapes his behavior here. Should we move on to stage three? Yeah. So in this third stage, traditionally, we'd be invited to think about how the text has shown up in our own lives. Would you read it one more time for us, Vanessa? The dungeon rang with the Slytherin's laughter and an unpleasant smile curled Snape's thin mouth. Weirdly, I'm thinking of birthday parties <laughs> because in some way, Snape is so theatrical. Like there's something kind of like a comical evil genius, like... For my 10th birthday party, my dad pretended to kidnap two of my sisters and, like, took them into the forest. And my friends and I all had to dress up as Casper the Friendly Ghost and, like, go and rescue them to the point where two two 10-year-old boys were so terrified that they ran home and left the party. But I just feel like there's that kind of comical, like, evil genius, like, just reminds me of my dad. Your dad, that is adorable. So that's what it reminds me of in my life. How about you? It reminds me of people who you have to interact with once you already know that you don't trust them or like them. If you've had a falling out with someone and you run into them on the street or, God forbid, the moments where, like, you have to be at a party with them and it's like, okay, this isn't about the fact that I hate so-and-so, I'm at this other person's wedding, so I'm going to have to be in the same room as them. And the way that you, like, politely smile at each other while secretly being like, I can't stand you and I think you're a bad person. 
Oh, yes. I think we're all familiar with that situation. Right. And it's terrifying, right? Because you don't know if the other person is going to come up and confront you. You don't know if the other person is just going to be nice to you and pretend like you don't have any problems. You don't know if they're just going to avoid you. I feel like it's the same kind of terrifying moment here with his unpleasant smile, right? It's like, is he just going to look at the article and be like, oh, haha, I get to laugh at Harry? Or is he going to publicly humiliate them. And it's that same feeling at a party of like fear of the unknown that makes it so stressful. Yeah. Well, let's transition to the final step of Lectio, which is where we think about what is the text inviting us to do? Is there an action that we might take that feels like it it is spoken to us that we're invited to do? Can you read it one final time for us, Vanessa? The dungeon rang with the Slytherin's laughter and an unpleasant smile curled Snape's thin mouth. I'm a big fan of RuPaul's Drag Race, as you know. And I've been thinking about the show more and more because I'm more and more conscious of how the editing of the story is setting up some of the queens to be liked and some of them to be vilified. And that's partly the joy of a story, right? Like there's goodies and baddies and what's going to happen. But I feel like whenever I'm invited to have that kind of snide smile, like there's something about it that I'm increasingly less comfortable with. And so I want to be really careful about how I'm being invited to have that kind of snide smile of superiority for my entertainment. How about you? I mean, what I feel called to do, but I don't think I'm going to be able to do is like be Hermione and just like smile big at the people who are laughing at me. I believe in you, Vanessa. No, I don't want to, though. I feel called to it, but what I really want to do is punch those people. (laughs) I just hate those people. I hate the people I hate. I do. (laughs) Well, that's why we're here every week trying to move through that, my darling. I know. Like, I feel called to smile at them, but I don't want to. I want to smack them and be like, You owe me an apology. Stop literally running away from apologizing to me. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Well, from that note, Vanessa, it's time for our voicemail this week from Wesley Cheney. Hi, Vanessa and Casper. My name is Wesley Cheney. This voicemail is in response to your recent episode on happiness. I'm a man of greater than normal stature, half giant, you might say. I also can claim some Scottish heritage. As a teenager, I imprinted upon the cult classic sci-fi film The Highlander. Inspired by it, I chose to wear a kilt to my high school prom, and a few years later, I was married in a kilt. While I loved wearing my kilt then, I was also embarrassed to be seen wearing it in public. Well, several years ago, I left my corporate job and my office casual uniform that was built around khaki trousers. Those khakis rarely fit me well, and they usually ended up ripped at the crotch. Well, I switched careers, and I began replacing my pants with kilts. I now wear a kilt almost every day. I lead bicycle tours in Alaska during the summer in a kilt. I wear a kilt under my Episcopal choir cassock, and I also perform with my ukulele while wearing a kilt. Wearing a kilt makes me happy, and it makes other people happy, too. Total strangers will compliment me on my kilt, and I make a point of graciously and sincerely accepting their compliments. I would like to offer a blessing to all people who pursue their happiness outside the norms of society. And I also want to bless those who do not feel they have the confidence or the safety to do so. Know that you are loved and worthy of love. Wesley, I love it. You go wear your kilt. I mean, I feel like you're missing out that you're not wearing a cape. That's my personal fave. (laughs) And a kilt and a cape is just, it's too boxy. Unforgettable. That would be a combo of dreams. Oh, really? I think that it would make you seem too shapeless. Oh, never. You do you, Wesley. Vanessa, it's time for us to bless someone from the pages of this chapter. Who are you giving your blessing to? I have been inspired by you, Casper, and so I'm going to give a Casper-type blessing. I'm going to bless Pansy Parkinson because she does this terrible thing, right? She calls Hermione ugly, and she accuses Hermione of drugging boys. Somebody who's happy within themselves would not do that. Mm. And so I want to bless Pansy for whatever it is that is causing her to act out like that. And I want to bless each of us for the moments in our lives when we have lashed out at somebody else because we have felt insecure or hurt or whatever Pansy is feeling right now. Mm -hmm. I think that this is clearly a young woman in a lot of pain if she is going after somebody who she doesn't even really have a relationship with. So I'd like to offer a blessing to Pansy and say that I see your pain and that must be really hard. So Mm. what about you, Casper? My blessing is for Karkaroff. You know, throughout the books, he's painted in this kind of shady way when actually he's just really frightened. And in this chapter, we see him enter Snape's classroom and refuse to leave because Snape has been avoiding him all the time. And I feel like here's someone who's saying, I am freaking out and no one is believing me. People are avoiding me. They don't want to confront the truth. I mean, the whole of the next book, The Order of the Phoenix, is about that theme of Harry not being believed. But it's already happening here. Karkaroff sees his dark mark getting stronger, but no one is coming to his aid. And so for anyone who feels like they can see the writing on the wall and they're afraid of what's coming and no one is standing with them, I hope that people will stand with you. 
You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and leave us a review on iTunes and send us a voicemail. Next week, we'll be reading Chapter 28, The Madness of Mr. Crouch, through the theme of inspiration. This episode was produced by Ariana Nettleman, Casper Turk-Kyle, and me, Vanessa Zoltan. Our music is by Ivan Paisau, who's just recently moved in with Ariana, and Nick Bull. As just roommates, they're not like dating or anything. We are part of the Panoply Network. You can find ours and other great shows on panoply.fm. This week's voicemail was from Wesley Cheney. We'd like to thank, as always, Rebecca and Charlie Ludley, Julia Argy, and Stephanie Paulsell. See you next week, everyone. Bye. And he literally, like, the doorbell rang and all that was left were my sister's clothes. <laughs> like, now you would never do that. It's like, <laughs> what were you supposed to imagine? Yeah, it's, it's like, like pretty well, freaky. Like, Not so fast. Yeah. <laughs> like a thing with the plate. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Amazing.